Hey guys, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, yeah, good. Good to see you. Who likes good news? Anybody like good news? I have got, it sure beats the alternative, doesn't it? I have got some good news for you. So, uh, so good news about the church. I'm excited to share with you a couple different stats, a couple different numbers. So two out of the past three weeks, so two out of the past three weeks, we have seen over 200 people in attendance in our services. How cool is that? Let's just give it up. Pretty cool. We're growing. God's doing stuff. We're seeing movement there. Uh, last week, we had a young man give his heart to the Lord. He prayed the prayer of new life. Let's give it up for that. If we can't get excited because people are giving their heart to Jesus, man, something's wrong. That's the reason we exist. That's what all of this is about. And so we're so excited that people are giving their heart to Jesus and that we're seeing people be baptized. And so praise God for that. One last thing. Last week, somebody gave their tithes and offerings, and it was a generous gift. And I'm here to share with you so we can praise the Lord together. We received $75,000. Come on, give it up for Jesus on that. <laughs> I know, at first you were in shock. You were like, Pastor Andrew, you said 75, and you put too many zeros behind it, you know. But uh, I don't know who it was. Uh, thank you, Jesus. We have an executive pastor, so the, the pastors don't have to know, and we don't want to know, and we don't get to know who gives. So have no idea who that was. If you're here today, God bless you. If you're not, uh, anyway, I just wanted to, to encourage you guys with that. So, uh, so grateful for what God's doing. Now, here's what I'm not saying. H hear me very closely. I'm not saying that when everything's going good, is going well, God is blessing you, and if things are not going well, that, well, somehow God's against you. As a matter of fact, normally, some of the opposite of that is true as well. If, if you're running into the devil, it means you're not going in the same direction as him, you know? So, so I'm not saying that, but for the past couple of months, uh, I, as well as some of you, have come to me and said, Pastor Andrew, there just seems to be a momentum in the house. Man, things are happening. It's, it's amazing to see what God's doing. But there was not a whole lot of like tangible things we could point to. You guys know that a lot of times when you're making progress, it's, it's incremental. And so you see things and it's like, well, I'm trying to lose weight and I lost point four. I'm not exactly going to you know, shout that from the rooftops. But you see those progress points, and so occasionally you just have to take time to celebrate. And so anyway, that's what I wanted to do. All of those are just numbers. They're metrics. Here's the most important number. Here's the number we're really going after, and, and make no mistake about it. The number that's most important is that we see people going to Jesus, that we see people getting saved, that we are populating heaven and emptying hell. Come on, somebody say a good amen right there. And so, here's the deal, guys. Pray. Because when God blesses, it's real easy to, to not pray fervently anymore. When you're receiving blessings, when, God, when you just things are going well, it's real easy to take your eyes off of the main thing. And so, pray for me. Pray for our church. Pray for our leaders. Because very legitimately, we want to keep our eyes on Jesus and make the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's jump into the sermon today. We have been in this series called We Need to Talk. And so for the past few weeks, we have talked about communication in relationships. 
Now, I know where your mind goes. You immediately think marriage or dating or engaged. I'm not just talking about that, though. I want to be very clear. I'm talking about communicating parent-to-child relationships, friendship-to-friend-to-friend. I'm talking, uh, yes, spouse-to-spouse in all different areas of your life. How do you communicate well? And so we've discussed talking, the words that we speak. We've also, last week we discussed listening. How can we listen well? How can we listen better? And I threw this out there. All of us think we're good listeners. And yet, have we ever asked the people that have to talk to us if we're good listeners? And I also challenged you at the end of last week's message. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want to challenge you for seven days. Spend five to ten minutes alone, in quiet, no radio, no TV, no cell phone, and just listen. Listen to God. Meditate on God's Word. Now, let me be very transparent with you. I challenged you. There were seven days. I did really good five of those days. There were two days. Oopsie, you know. Friday, I'm not kidding you guys. One of the top experiences I have ever had with the Lord. Friday morning, my kids are at daycare. My wife works that day. It's my day off. And I'm at home, and I do my Jesus time. And it is just so rich. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. This is not just good in theory. It's not just, oh, yeah, we should probably do that. It is good in practice. And and I said last week, if we will take time to listen, I promise you God wants to speak to you. And I can absolutely tell you on Friday, it was so rich. And I firmly believe that it's because I spent all that week leading up to that listening. And so anyway, I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, you've still got time. Do it this week, you know. So jump in on that listening challenge. Spend five to ten minutes alone with God and do some listening. And so all of that to say, today, uh, today I want to talk about communicating in conflict, communicating whenever, you know, we're butting heads, whenever things aren't going well. And so you see, obviously, this whiteboard's not normally up here. I'm going to do a little bit more teaching. There's going to be like an art demonstration I'm going to do for you. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You guys didn't laugh, but you will when you see my art here in a minute. So we're going to talk about communicating in conflict. Anybody ever had any conflict in any of your relationships? Can I just see your hands? Any conflict in any relationship? Yeah. The people who aren't raising, some people are raising both hands. Yeah. I feel you, brother. And then other people are just nodding. The answer to that question is duh. Like we all. If you haven't experienced conflict in a relationship you've been in, just give it some time. Just give it some time. And so, I was actually doing some premarital counseling with a couple one time, and uh, in the in the sessions, they had asked me to officiate their wedding, and so I'm doing some premarital counseling, and I said, "Tell me about the last time you guys fought." And they looked at each other, and they kind of grinned, and they're looking. You gonna tell him, or am I gonna tell him? Who's gonna tell him? <laughs> Pastor Andrew, we have never fought. Oh, okay. Tell me about the last disagreement you had. No, Pastor Andrew, you don't understand. We're in love. And so, you know, hey, that's awesome. That's amazing. But 
But by the end of the second session, I'll be honest with you guys, I was legitimately concerned. I, I didn't have a piece. Of, I was like, man, I don't know if I can officiate this wedding because you will fight. And it's just better to fight and learn how you fight and kind of what are the rules of engagement. It's better to figure all that out before, you know, you made the lifelong vow before God. Because if you find that they don't fight fair... Marriage is a magnifier, and whatever is true before you're married, it's going to be true times 10 once you're married. And so you need to know now, can they fight well? Are they going to like hit me with some low blows? Are they going to bring up stuff from the past? Can they really forgive? And so I was legitimately concerned. I didn't know going into session three if I was going to say, hey, I don't know if I'm your guy. And then praise God, good news. Wedding planning is enough to make any couple fight, even the most in love couple. And so they came to session three and they were like, it happened. <laughs> and so they had fought and we were able to talk through that. And I'm happy to tell you they're still married today and doing well. Here's my point. Conflict in relationship is inevitable. It's inevitable. Even when we care for the person, even when we love the person. Hey, listen. Even when we are in love, I mean over-the-top, mushy-gushy love, there comes a time, if you're in that relationship long enough, that you will go through conflict. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Some of them louder than others. Conflict is not inherently bad, though. You know, we often think, well, we need to steer away from conflict at all costs. You, you sweep stuff under the rug. You push it down. You don't. You try as hard as you can not to be in conflict. But that's not necessarily true. That's not the best thing. Have you, have you guys ever heard the saying, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor? Anybody ever heard that before? Smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. What are they talking about? They're... Anybody can say they're a good sailor. Anybody can look like a good sailor when you're in harbor, when you're at port, when the seas are calm. You can say it, you can talk about it, you can look it. But the real litmus test, the real, true, bona fide, skilled sailors come out when the conditions get rough, when the waves start to swell, when the wind starts to whip, when the rain is pounding down, that's when you know who the skilled sailors are. That's when you can develop into a skilled sailor, but it comes with conflict. It comes when the battle is on and the seas are raging. It Smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. So conflict can be a good thing. Notice those two words. Conflict can be. Not always is. Sometimes conflict tears relationships apart. Sometimes it breaks people up. Sometimes it's not good, but conflict can be a good thing. We need to understand, though, there's a differentiation. You have conflict and you have combat. Conflict says we're buttonheads. We don't see eye to eye. We grew up differently. We have different viewpoints. We have different beliefs. We're working through this thing, man. And there's some friction and there's some stress points, but that's conflict. Combat says 
I want to win. And whatever I've got to do, if I have got to kill the relationship, if I've got to injure you, if I've got to wound you verbally, I'll do it because I am going to win. So there's conflict and there's combat. Combat is not essential to relationships, but conflict is. I heard a teaching by Dr. Jerry Bridges. And uh, Dr. Jerry Bridges, he was on staff with Navigators for years, Christian ministry. He wrote over 35 books on Christian education and Christian living. And one of the principles that he brought out was called the Tunnel of Conflict. I want to show it to you. And this is where my art demonstration comes in. So two people, let's just say you and somebody else. I want to make sure I was doing, yeah. There you are. Anyway, so, so you're, you're together and you're on this road called fellowship. That, you can be on, in fellowship with anybody. You can be in fellowship with people you come to church with. You can be in fellowship with people at work. You can be in fellowship with, you know, just the list goes on and on. It's two people who come together and you spend time together. And so two people, they're on a road of fellowship, and they just left a town called Superficial and Shallow. That is the equivalent of basically, I don't know you that well, we're acquaintances at best, that kind of thing. And so you're heading to a town called Intimacy. Not like physical intimacy, but relational intimacy. You're a good friend. I can trust you with my deepest, darkest secrets. I can trust you with my stuff. When I'm having a bad day, I can call you. There is relational, relational intimacy. I know I can trust you. And so you're on this road headed there, and all of a sudden you see a fork in the road. And in this fork in the road, this is where it gets tough, guys. Here is the tunnel of conflict. That's terrible. Okay, but that's the tunnel of conflict. And so you look to your right. You guys are still trying to see it, aren't you? Let me get out of your way. And so you look at, you can see far enough down both roads in this fork, and and you can see, oh, man, on the right, there's this tunnel. It's dark. It looks scary. I don't know what's in there. There may be some kind of wild animal. So that looks super sketchy. But on this other road... Oh, man, it look, birds are chirping, the sun is shining, there's some trees for shade, it looks amazing. But here's what we have to understand. The road to the left, it doubles back around to superficial and shallow. At some point, if you never go through conflict, if you never experience just that friction with the other person, then ultimately it goes back to those one of the, the greet your neighbor time that we do here at church. Hey, good morning, good to see you. Hey, good morning, good to see you. You won't fight in a relationship like that. There's ne- never in the history of the bridge has a brawl broken out during greet your neighbor time. <laughs> Not to say it couldn't happen. It just hadn't happened yet. Because these relations, it doesn't matter. We're superficial, we're shallow. Hey, how's your mama and them? You know, that's it. But on this side, The tunnel of conflict, it looks dark, it looks scary, but if you persevere, it leads to intimacy. If you keep going, 
Why? Because again, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different beliefs, different views. And so if we stay in that relationship long enough, if we tough it out, if we go through the stuff, we come out on the other side better for it, closer together. And so with that in mind, if we, if we can agree that that is true, and I believe we pretty much all can, then that means this, although we don't love it, is necessary. The tunnel of conflict is necessary. So if we are going to have disagreements, if we're going to have some pinch points in our life, we need to learn how to fight fair. How do we make sure we can walk through that tunnel of conflict together and there not be relational carnage on the other side? So what I want to do today is I want to give you three dynamics of a healthy fight. How do you fight well? Some of you guys just parked right back into this, so thank you. Welcome. All right, so three dynamics of a healthy fight. Let me give them to you. Recognition, reconciliation, resolution. Recognition, I realize there's a problem. Reconciliation, we're in this together. We're on the road of fellowship. Resolution, we're working together toward intimacy. Guys, can I talk to you for just a second? Here's what we do. I know because I do it. And don't you leave me hanging. You do it too. We see a problem. Recognize a problem. Wife comes home. She's upset. Somebody at work said something. What'd they say? What'd they say? Here's what you need to do. Tomorrow, we go from recognition to resolution. Got a problem? Yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook. Yeah. The vanilla ice method. It worked for vanilla for a little while. But ultimately, if you don't go through reconciliation, again, you'll come out on the other side and there will be relational carnage. So we have to go through the phases. How can we go through the phases? Well, let's jump right in. Number one, recognition phase. Recognition. So you see there's a problem. You become aware there's a problem. Somebody did something or said something, and now there's a problem. You can live in the recognition phase for days, for weeks, months, years. You can live in the recognition phase for a long time. And so it's in this phase, hear me guys, you either become proactive or you become reactive. You either say, all right, I need to go ahead and handle this. I need to go ahead and do That's proactive. Or you wait and you bury it down deep. But then at some point, it gets emotional enough. At some point, that person does something else. And then you let them have it, not just for that thing that they just did, but you let them have it because of a lot of different stuff. And so in that moment, when it becomes reaction and not proaction, then... It is the fight or flight mentality. You back a person in a corner. It's gotten emotional for you. So one day you just, and you back them in a corner. And some people fight. You put a bulldog in a corner. He's coming out of there. You fight or you flight. You get out of there. And so what do we want to have happen? You've, you guys have seen this. It's true in marriages. It's true in work relationships. Hey, listen, guys, it's true in church. Let me tell you what happens. People will come, and they'll have a problem with the music or with me or my preaching or 
somebody else in the church, and they'll come, and they'll have a problem, and they deal with it for a while. They recognize it's a problem, and they deal with it for a while, but then eventually, you just keep having to see that person, and, you, and just after a while, you're like, all right, that's a problem, and, and I'm out of here. And we look around one day, and we say, where did they go? Man, they were such a big part, and where... And it's because they never were proactive about it. They never told me or the worship leaders. They never told you or whoever it was that made them angry. Whoever it was they had the problem. They never said anything. And one day, flight took over, and they just bolted. Fight or flight. So we recognize the problem. Now here, I told you it's going to be more teaching than normal today. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. So under each one of the points, I'm going to give you a do and a don't. So in that phase, a do and a don't. Number one, recognition phase, the do. The note takers love me right now, but those of you who aren't, you're like, okay. Do talk to God about the issue. Do talk to God. Pray. Prayer is always a good answer. Prayer should always be our first resort. And so James chapter 1, verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Here's why I brought that scripture up. As soon as you recognize conflict, maybe you're like, I don't even know if I'm really ready to deal with this right now. But you can still pray. And here, here's how we should pray. Yes, pray for solutions, but also pray, and this is important, pray for perspective. God, give me your perspective on this conflict, on this problem, on this thing we're going through. And, and here's the other part. Lord, what is my role in this conflict. That's powerful stuff. Because oftentimes, when we're feuding with someone, fussing, argument, disagreement, whatever words you want to use, when we're going through that with someone, our tendency is to say, they started it. They did it. It was all their fault. man." And, they, and so we look at it and we say, it's all their fault. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew it's going to be my next verse. There you go. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? It is rarely, hardly ever, all someone else's fault. And most of the time, when we pray and we take time to look, we realize, oh, I was real quick to talk about them and their speck. I was real quick to bring that up. I didn't realize there was a beam in my own. I didn't realize. And so just to finish out the verse, he said, Jesus says, You hypocrite, first take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We own part of it. Now, you may feel like, well, Pastor Andrew, I own the speck, they own the beam. Okay, but you still realize you own part of it. And here's what happens. When we're clear on the fact that part of this conflict is my fault, I could have handled that a little better. It gives us far more grace because we realize, hey, I'm not innocent and they're guilty. We're both guilty. Let me own my part. 
and then it leads to a quicker um, reconciliation. So do talk to God. Don't, in recognition phase, don't talk to people. Now, I'm not suggesting you handle this alone. I'm not saying you have to go at it alone. But here's, here's what I am saying. There may be times where you bring other people in. But most often, here's what we do. We get hurt. Somebody says something we don't like. Somebody does something we don't like. And what do we do? We go and tell our friends. We don't pray. So instead of praying and taking it to God, we go and we talk to our friends. And you know which friends I talk to? I'm guessing you're pretty similar. I talk to the friends who are going to be on my side. I talk to the friends who are going to say, they said, what do you? No, you don't have to take that. That's outrageous. I can't believe And then they did what? And I want people who are going to be on my side. Y'all know what I'm talking about? People, but, but here's what happens. They reinforce the anger. They reinforce the hurt. <coughs> and so now I become even more entrenched in my side. Any of you guys ever heard of the problem box? Nobody? Some of you? Okay. A couple of you. Let me draw it then since I obviously need more art today. This is going to be a big problem, so i got to get some space. So again, I should have just left that. But You got your hair back. Something happens, there's a conflict. When, when you and I fight, when something goes, let's just say me and Kaya. When Kaya, Kaya's like, no. If Kaya and I fight, who are the only people that know about this problem? Me and Kaya. Me and Kaya. And so the problem, us, our problem, is now in the problem box. But again, we don't want to talk to others because here's what happens when I talk to others and I'm talking to people who are going to say, I can't believe Kaya is so mean. And then she's going to tell some people and they probably won't believe her, but they'll at least go with her. And she talks to some people and then Mount Olive's small. People talk. There's Facebook. People talk. Even people who aren't living in the same town. You think, I, I safe. I told somebody in Raleigh. Guess what? Social media. And so eventually, somebody that I told talks to somebody Kaya told. And then, well, you got some of the details wrong. Well, that's not what he said to me. Well, she said, according to her version. And so now, they're telling people. And we've added people to the problem box. And they're everywhere. And so now, the problem box just got bigger. It got more complicated. And then we say things like, she is so much drama. Have you ever noticed how much drama is around her? And yet we're just as guilty because we brought people to the party too. Gossip. Let me just give you an easy definition to go with. Gossip is when we talk to people about the problem who aren't in the problem box. And the only people who belong in the problem box, you belong in there if you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. 
And so if you can't, if you weren't in the original disagreement between me and Kaya, or you can't help me and Kaya fix it, you shouldn't know. So we don't want to talk to others because it magnifies the problem. Look at Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Mm. Let me read that again. Without wood, a fire goes out. Read that next part with me. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. If we'll quit talking about it, if we'll quit inviting people into the box, you'd be surprised how quick we could work it out. But we don't talk to God and we do talk to others and it, it just perpetuates the problem. Let's go to number two, reconciliation phase. If we're going to fight fair, we have to reconcile. So here's the do. Do ask for a peace conference. Do ask for a peace conference. Kind of a corny name. I know. Work it out. Talk about it. Get together with that person. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, Therefore, if, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So you're at church. You got your offering. You're ready to go. You're sitting in your seat. The five-minute countdown's on. And you, as you sit there, you remember, Whoa, I still have this problem with Kaya. Look at what Jesus says. These are the words of Jesus. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Make sure the church gets the offering. Figured y'all would like that. First, go and be, there's our word, say it, reconciled. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come give your gift. Now, I would have thought, I would have thought Jesus would have said, stay at church. And as soon as service is over, then go and get right with that person. Because you probably need the lesson from that day too. But this is how big of a deal it is to Jesus. He says, hey, go and be reconciled and then come back to church. So ask for a peace conference. Here's how we do it. Right place, right time, right spirit. Right place. I'm not going to talk to you about it in front of other people. We're not going to try to work out our differences while other people can hear us and while they're around because they're not in the problem box. We don't need to bring them in the problem. So right place, right time, right time. If, you, if that was you earlier and you do have a struggle with me or there's something I've done to offend you, I promise you I didn't mean to do it. I want to hear about it, but let me tell you when the right time is not. At 9.45 on a Sunday morning because I've got my mind on the message. I'm trying to speak to people. So you want to do it right place, right time, and then right spirit. Coming to that person and saying, you know what? I own part of this. I just wanted to tell you. And so we come ready to make peace. There's a lot, depending on the situation, depending on what the conflict was. There's a lot of different variables there. But put it in the filter of right place, right time, right spirit. So that's the do. Do ask for a peace conference. Don't set ultimatums. Don't set ultimatums. Pastor Jim shared a story this week, and I thought, man, that is so good. I'm going to steal it. So years ago, he was doing premarital counseling, or excuse me, marriage counseling with a couple, and uh, their names are Randy and Peg. And Randy and Peg came to him. They had been married for 26 years, 
And all of a sudden, the kind of the event that precipitated all of this was their youngest daughter moved out of the house. She goes to college, and the parents look at each other. The house is quiet. Everything's kind of calm. No kids' ball games to go to. No distractions. Nothing else to talk about. And they look, and it, it's just you here. I don't even like you, not, let alone love you. I don't even like... And they realized that after 26 years, they had been so busy, they had never dealt with their stuff. And so they made up their minds, we're going we're gonna to get a divorce. And they came to Pastor Jim and said, basically, talk us out of it if you can. That's always fun as a pastor, by the way. Change your old people. Have regularly scheduled maintenance. Invest in your marriage. I've had that happen one time where a couple come to me and said, we're ending it. See what you can do. Man, that's so tough. And so that's what Pastor Jim did. And so he said, okay, well, guys, I want you to take, it's, it's called the Taylor Johnson Temperament Analysis. That's not important. What is important is basically you're asked a set of questions and you have to answer from your perspective. And then you have to answer, here's how I think my spouse would answer that. Whoo. And so they did that, four sets of answers. They superimposed them on top of each other, and it became very clear the issue was control. And he felt like he didn't have any influence in his family. He felt like he had no control, nobody listened. And she felt like he is totally domineering. This guy is a dictator, Pastor Jim. And if you will just set him straight, that would help. And so he looks at that and he said, guys, look. This stuff, it can't get any further apart. Like, I, why do you think this? Why do you think? Do you remember the first time the issue of control came up? L let me let you guess what his answer was. Uh-uh. You know, he's like, no, I have no idea when that happened for the first time. And she said, I know exactly. See, he had a job that when they got married, his job required him to stay where he was her job allowed her to be able to move, and so she moved an hour and a half away from home, from mama and daddy and friends and her network of support, and these were before the days of social media, so she didn't feel connected to anybody, and so she, that first month, she's burning up the phone. She's calling people, how you doing? I hadn't seen you lately. Like, yeah, you okay? And so after that month, the phone bill comes in. And this is back in the days when long distance costed. Do you guys remember how expensive long distance used to be? Yeah. And so he comes in and he sees that bill. He recognized the problem and he jumped straight to resolution. He was like, I know how to solve this. He goes into the uh, living room where Peg is at. He slams the bill on the table, pushes it toward her and said, this can't happen anymore. From now on, you can talk to your mom 15 minutes a week. He came in and dropped the bomb. And here she is, away from everybody she knows, away from all her support. And he comes in and does that. And immediately that day, he set the ultimatum and he hurt the relationship. And so now, fast forward 25 years and 11 months later, because that happened in the first month they were married, here they sit, having been married for 26 years, and there has been this conflict that has been on low in the crock pot 
for 25 years. Can you imagine how tender that subject was for her? Because he set an ultimatum. He said, it's this or nothing. Guys, that alienates people. That creates relational carnage. That is, that is the exact opposite of reconciliation. Look at what Proverbs 11 says. 11.29, the man who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. I put some parentheses in there and added a couple other relationships. The man who provokes his friends to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. And, and it goes on. It's true of so many relationships in your life. That's why we fight for reconciliation. That's why we fight to be reconciled with that person. So we ask for a peace conference. We don't set ultimatums. Number three, resolution. Resolution. Do give the gift of love. Now, resolution is the absolute hardest one. But here we go. Let's look at it. Do give the gift of love. 1 Corinthians 10 or excuse me, 13, 4 and 5, says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. I'm so glad Jesus did not give me what I deserve, but he gave me what I needed. And so this is not about being a doormat, it's about being Christ-like. Sometimes giving the gift of love means getting someone else involved. It means bringing a counselor or a pastor or a bridge group leader. It means bringing someone to that problem box because you realize we can't solve it on our own. Whatever the case, it is more rewarding to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship. It's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. And so here's the don't. Do give the gift of love. Don't walk out. Don't walk out. Can you imagine? Let's go back to Randy and Peg for just a second. Can you imagine the difference it would have made if Randy had to come in that first month and said, this phone bill makes me extremely mad. I better not talk about this right now. I'm going to mess up the relationship. And if he would have given it, a little time, calm down, come to Peg, and said, hey, here's what we got. I want you to be able to talk to your mom, but I want to be able to eat and sleep indoors. And you do too. You're reasonable. You know, everybody wants that. We all want to be able to have enough money to pay our bills. Peg, how can we work on this? together, I think she would have talked to her mom 15 minutes a week on her own because she would have wanted to resolve it. But that's what happens when we skip steps. Here's the really cool thing. So Pastor Jim reached back out to this couple this week, and he said, hey, can we use this story? Would that be okay? They said, sure. It's been 15 years now since he sat down with them initially, and they're married, and they said, man, we are doing great. And it all stemmed back to we brought somebody in and helped us get through our conflict. And now we're over there at relational intimacy. Again, conflict doesn't mean combat. It's kind of what Randy did at first. 
Fortunately for him, he was able to walk it back enough to preserve the relationship and to get intimacy. So here, I just want to leave you with a question. This is it, and then we'll go. What if, what if we as Christians, as believers in Christ, what if we could just get really good at this? Walking through conflict with each other, walking through conflict with people at school and people at work, and we did it well, so much so that unbelievers would look and say, man, you've got to be a Christian. What, what in the world? Most people gossip. Most people slander. Most people want to sling mud. You're walking through this thing and you're owning your part and you're asking for a peace conference and you're being proactive. Guys, if we get good at this, if we can recognize, reconcile, and come to resolution, I think it'll show a lost and dying world that there is a God and that He resides in us and it will be appealing to them. And, and, it'll be healthier for us. We will have better relationships because of it. So let's do it. You with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I don't know why you set up conflict to be the thing that gets us to relational intimacy. And there are times where I don't like it. And there are times when I'm going through the issue or the friction or the disagreement that I'm really mad and I'm really upset and I want to sling mud and I want to bring people into the problem box. So God, I'm asking first and foremost, Lord, help me. Help Andrew Price to be better at resolving conflict. I'm asking you, God, that you would empower each and every one of us. Give us wisdom. Wisdom to not rush to judgment. Wisdom to look from your perspective and to ask what our part is. And God, that you would help us walk through conflict well for your glory and for our relational health. God, each and every one of us in this room have experienced seasons of loneliness. You have not designed any of us to live there. So God, I pray right now, I pray that you would help us to walk through conflict well. We won't do it unless you empower us. We won't be able to. So God, give us the wisdom and the strength and the, the resolve uh, to be able to do that. Heavenly Father, I also want to pray. I just feel like there's someone here and today's your day. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and I'm just here to tell you, you will find strife at every turn until you make that commitment. You, you don't have a relationship with Him yet. Today's your day. Here's all you have to say. If you want to start that relationship with Jesus Christ today, He can be your Savior. Heaven can be your home. Life everlasting. Life to the full can be what you experience here on this earth. All you need to do is pray this prayer. Pray it right there where you sit, just to yourself. God, thank you for sending your son. I believe that he is my savior, that he lived a perfect life, and that he died for my sin. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin and come live in my heart. I want to be saved. I pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.